Now come on and put your hands together for Jesus Christ who alone is worthy to be praised. Come on and praise him like he's done something for you. We give you praise. We give you praise. Glory to your name. God bless you. You may be seated. And uh, sound man, if there's any way you can get that into some monitors up here or turn it up and pretend we're Pentecostal, I'd appreciate it. How many brought your Bibles today? Luke chapter 12. What a great privilege to be back here with you at uh, Victory. As I was speaking this morning with Pastor, I uh, was asked, how long has it been since you've been here? I said, you know, I was trying to figure that out on my way down, and uh, all I can tell you is I can't remember other than it's been too long. But I want to, before we even speak this morning, I want to give honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give honor to Pastor Richard and Lisa Sfamini and to the house of the Lord. We love them and appreciate them and have known them for so very long. We were talking a little bit about life on the way to church uh, this morning and how quickly it passes by, and it's hard to believe uh, that your pastor is 58 years old, and I'm still the same as the last time I was here. Hard to believe. I don't know how that works, but I'm at that stage in life when in many places where I speak, uh, they introduce me and they'll say, this man is the six countries of the world, and they go on and on, and I start looking around for the old man that's going to speak. And then it dawns on me, I'm the old man that's going to speak. But I want to give praise to the Lord. He's been so good to me in uh, 43 years of ministry, preaching two to 300 times a year in 56 nations of the world. I've never missed a single service because of sickness or throat trouble or laryngitis or disease or infirmity. And I don't say one word of that to boast in myself or in some health regime. I don't get up in the morning and put a bunch of green stuff in a blender and blend it. I'm a steak and potatoes country boy from way back. But I give praise and honor to the Lord who's kept me healthy and strong. I still believe the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens our mortal bodies. Hallelujah. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens our mortal bodies. That means believers heal quicker, mend quicker, supernaturally are restored. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens our mortal bodies. I didn't plan on this, but I feel the Lord's anointing to heal. Raise a hand all across this auditorium, whether you're well or not well. And I want to pray for you. If you're watching online, raise a hand wherever you're at. Father, in the name of Jesus, we proclaim things and wonders and miracles. Follow the preaching of your word. And we thank you that you sent your word and healed them and delivered them. Thank you, Father. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. By the mighty name of Jesus, I curse every sickness, every disease, every infirmity within the sound of my voice. I bind it by the power of the cross and the stripes and the blood that ran down your back 
by those stripes we were healed and I release the fire of God that heals even now. Not only to those that are present but to those that are watching online or whatever platform they may be experiencing the presence of God. Let the healing oil of the Lord go forth and make everyone well. And thank you, Father, that we stay well. All who are well, stay well. In the name of Jesus, I pray that everywhere we go, sickness, disease, and infirmity would flee. I thank you that we are surrounded by a holy hedge of divine protection and no weapon formed against us shall prosper. I thank you that our enemies come against us one way, but they flee seven ways. In the name of the Lord God Almighty, I thank you that as the servant of the Most High God, we have the privilege of presenting the truth of Christ. Bless every person within the sound of my voice as they live holy. Remind us that the greatest key to prosperity is holy living. Psalm 84.11 states, No good thing will I withhold from them who walk uprightly. Cause us to walk uprightly. I pray, Father, that not one person within the sound of my voice will be absent in eternity's morning. I pray everyone would live holy, live ready for the soon coming of Christ. We watch the world around us, and as we have studied the Scriptures, it is so very clear that the next major event on the calendar of God is the rapture of the church. And may we heed the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 44 where he said, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Help us to live with eternity clearly in focus. Now may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Wash us fresh in the blood of Jesus. Cleanse my mind, my body, my spirit. Let there be nothing that hinders the flow of God in this place and the anointing that rests upon your everlasting word. Don't let one person who's listening to me, who's lost, remain lost. Don't let one sinner feel like God's given up on them. Let today be their hour of decision. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory. For we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So good to be in a house where the presence of the Lord is not only welcomed, but the presence of the Lord is, is nurtured. Uh, I also want to say a heartfelt thank you to uh, the church. Uh, thank you for uh, your prayers for this ministry. Uh, thank you for uh, your generous support of this ministry. We appreciate it so very much. What a day we live in. Uh, most of you who know our ministry know that I've preached on eschatology and Bible prophecy uh, all of my life. But in 2018, in my January fast, there were a few directives from the Lord, one of which was I felt God prompt my heart, I want you to speak on Bible prophecy more than you have ever preached on it before. My first carnal impulse was to be offended because I thought I'm known for being an evangelist that preaches on eschatology. But I've learned never bristle when God speaks, and so 
Uh, the answer was yes, sir. And so I've been preaching on Bible prophecy. In fact, many places that I go, pastors are asking me, would, would it offend you if I asked you to preach on Bible prophecy the entire week that you're here? And uh, never offended by that. I'm just amazed that the book of Revelation that was written in A.D. 95 was so accurate and precise in predicting the world political agendas that surround us uh, as we live. I don't know how any serious student of the Bible cannot study the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and First and Second Thessalonians and even Second Peter and Zechariah and so many of the great prophetic passages in the Bible. And then look at our world today and the increasing... Uh, I want to be gracious in my selection of words, but the increasing strong-armed mandates of world policy, globalism, and all of the things that the Bible told us would be the stage set for the arrival of the Antichrist. And so I'm not going to be preaching on prophecy this morning, but I did want to begin by telling you the most important thing you can do as a believer in these last days Number one is live ready to meet the Lord every single day. And secondly, pray for friends and family who need Jesus Christ. Because John's gospel said, each of us must carry out the tasks that are assigned to us, for night cometh when no man can work. Because we believe in the soon coming rapture of the church, Evangelism and reaching the unreached is a limited opportunity. It is not a forever opportunity. And at the sound of the trumpet, a door is going to close that will never be opened again. And so we need to live in a way that pleases the Lord, and we need to live in such a way that all who follow in our path will also make heaven their eternal home. Can I get a good amen for that? I don't have time to testify, but I just have to quickly tell you, uh, this has been a miraculous year for the ministry of Lost Lamb Association. And uh, God has been so faithful throughout all of the years. But this year has just been beyond miraculous. I was sitting in my office some weeks ago, and I was trying to calculate how long it took me to preach to actually preach face-to-face -to, -face to a million people. Now, many people spend a lifetime in ministry and never have that opportunity, but because of my travels and missions and evangelism, that privilege has been afforded to me. But when I was 17 years old in the prayer room of Zion Bible Institute, located at that time at 846 Broadway in East Providence, Rhode Island, God clearly spoke to my heart as a teenager, to win a million souls to Christ. It was in that prayer room that I felt a call to world missions and to evangelism. You know, Pastor mentioned Alaska. Actually, it's not just Alaska, it's the Arctic Circle. Alaska's the nice part. <laughs> it gets really cold in the Arctic Circle. I've preached in places 40, 50, 60 below zero without wind chill. I've been picked up by snowmobiles. I've been picked up by dog sleds and uh, taken to places. But you know, it was at the age of 17 that God put that in my heart to reach unreached people. And that is still my passion at the age of 63. 
But in that prayer room, the Lord laid upon my heart, and I wrote it down, and I tucked it in my Bible. I still remember word for word. My goal is to lead one million people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I tucked that in my Bible, and I never told anybody till I was 38 years old. And the reason I didn't tell anybody is I thought, you know, if you ever tell anybody that, they're going to think that you think more of yourself than you should or you have a, a large ego or what kind of person feels like they can win a million people to Christ. And so I just tucked it in my heart. But at the age of 38, the Lord had begun to make it abundantly clear to me that to reach that goal, it was a goal bigger than me. And indeed, God has brought precious people onto the team of Lost Lamb Association and staff and uh, churches and pastors like this that through the years uh, have prayed for us and helped us and supported us. And I uh, try to be gracious and humble everywhere I go in saying it's God's work and we're God's people getting God's goals done. So before I preach, let me just say a heartfelt thank you to Pastor Richard and to Victory. Thank you for your kindness to this ministry. Uh, to my best estimation, it took me between 35 and 38 years to preach to my first one million people. And then this year, God did something unprecedented. One of our prophecy messages from one of our Lost Lamb Crusades in Arlington, Texas went viral. That video now has almost three million views. And then, and then another one went viral and now has about 1.3 million views. And cumulatively, uh, since July of this year, uh, our crusade messages on the internet are approaching 7 million views from all over the world. And what has happened as a result of that is now we are seeing people come to Christ 24-7, seven days a week. I think we've documented about 128 nations of the world in the 1040 window, uh, which is one of the most unreached windows of evangelism and missions in the world. Uh, we put a program on air there last year, and I just recorded five crusade messages, had them interpreted in the native language, and they're beamed into the 1040 window uh, via satellite. The last report that I received, we had 69,000 plus salvations in the 1040 window from those five programs. And who would have thought, I've preached on prophecy, but in all of my years on preaching on prophecy, Matthew 24 says, this gospel shall be preached in all of the world, and then shall the end come. Who would have thought at the age of 17, not far from where I'm preaching this morning, there would be a day that even when I get back to the hotel late at night and put my head on the pillow to sleep, that as I fall asleep, those 178 crusade messages on social media and YouTube are preaching 24-7 all over the world. And the salvations are coming in literally by the thousands from all over the world. And we literally are doing our best to keep up with it. I hired a full-time person to come in in the summer locally there at our office with media. 
I've since outsourced a team of three people in Dallas. And then uh, this week we're hiring, uh, have hired. This will be the first week that they're coming to work. And it's about all we can do uh, to keep up with it. I would really appreciate uh, your prayers if you are a prayerful people. One of the things that you can put on that prayer list, pray that God will give us the wisdom in following through because we're doing our best to follow up on every single person. Uh, when I mention to you thousands of commitments to Christ, those are commitments that they write to us or email us or come through the website and notify us. I prayed the prayer of salvation with you, and I would like to receive the free discipleship material. These are all individuals that we know we've been able to follow up on. How many others are behind the scenes? Only eternity will reveal but it's just amazing to me what God has done in 2021. Uh, I told Pastor, uh, the team in Dallas, that I gave our media to and asked them to take direction of. They said, well, the first thing we want you to do is delete your old YouTube channel. And uh, my staff person who was running media was not thrilled by that. And uh, she said, you realize that if we delete that channel, we lose all of your subscribers, we lose all of your identity on that page, we lose all of your views. It'll be like you never had one and you're starting over. I said, that's pretty much exactly what I asked them, but go ahead and delete it. The first one had been made in the name of Lost Lamb Association because I've always tried to keep the ministry name in the forefront and hide behind it, so to speak. But uh, we created a brand new page uh, the team in Dallas said, nobody's Googling Lost Lamb Association. Most people can't spell association. They said, whether you like it or not, people today Google whatever the name is. Who is Tiff Shuttlesworth? And uh, so we've got a brand new YouTube page. That page, though, it's only, I think we started that in May, uh, is garnering about a quarter of a million views a month. And it also has become an evangelism tool unto itself. If you haven't already subscribed to that, do so not only for your uh, blessing. Uh, there's a lot of academic study on that. If you enjoy Bible prophecy, a lot of the content is one-hour Bible studies from a classroom perspective on all of the questions on Bible prophecy uh, that are coming in. But we also have, if you have new family members that are saved or friends that are saved, uh, have them click on the playlist, I Just Got Saved. And there's a whole series of fundamental teachings for new believers. Uh, this is the new methodology that we're trying to raise up for people all over the world. We're also trying to get some of those translated in various languages. But uh, please do keep that in prayer. Uh, the month of December, I'm doing a favor for all of my dear pastor friends. I don't think you're aware of it perhaps so much here in uh, Victory. But every December, pastors get assaulted by members on celebrating Christmas and Christmas trees are pagan and what should we tell our kids about Santa Claus and pastors spend more time than they should ever have to spend. There are some people, Christmas comes around and they're singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year and other people are saying, it's a pagan holiday, you rank idolater. And, uh, but how many of you know that people should be privileged to ask questions and receive intelligent answers? And so I'm doing something this December on our broadcast and on our social platforms that I've never done before. I'm doing an entire series 
uh, on those questions. I just did, should uh, Christians celebrate Christmas, uh, Monday and Tuesday of this week. I'm doing, what should you tell your children about Santa Claus? Was Jesus born on December 25th? Might surprise you, but a lot of modern scholarship, there's strong evidence that Jesus indeed was born on December 25th. Now, don't anybody leave here this morning and say, Brother Tiff said Jesus was born on December 25th. I'm just telling you that modern scholarship uh, gives us strong evidence that the sacrificial unblemished lambs for the temple were kept on the hillside in Bethlehem through December to keep them separated from the others and so on. But we're just answering those types of questions. But here's the thing. Not one single video, regardless of what the hook is or the title or the subject matter, all of them end with a clear presentation of the gospel. We pray the sinner's prayer with people and we point them to decision and discipleship. So subscribe to those platforms. Use them as evangelistic tools. And that's what a lot of Christian people are doing. They're finding subjects on questions. Pastors are using them because it takes all of the heat off of them, puts it all on me, and uh, I'm happy to do it. But uh, pray for your unsaved loved ones. Get serious about winning people to Christ and pray for world evangelism while we still have a chance. And everybody that believes that and receives that said amen. Luke chapter 12, let's get into the word of God. My father has been with the Lord for eight years, but his advice on Sunday morning was always, son, don't ever forget, a sermon doesn't have to be eternal to be divine. And so I'm going to do my best uh, to remember that. By the way, if I don't see you between now and Christmas, I pray that you and your family remember that the reason for the season is indeed the birth of Jesus. And I pray you and your family have a joyous, wonderful Christmas season. I hope you get everything on your list, unless you are naughty. In that case, I'll be giving an altar call at the end for all of you that are naughty. Tina, in my office, if you're editing, you can begin the edit right here. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of what does the Bible say about time. And I want you to go with me into the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 16. And for those of you that are present, and for those of you who may be watching online, let me begin by saying this. If there's only one thing that you receive out of our time together and listening to me speak today, I hope that you'll listen to how to make peace with God. Because I want every single person who hears me to make it to heaven. No one goes to heaven by accident. All will be there because of a deliberate choice. And no one goes to hell by accident. All will be there because of a deliberate choice. And when I'm done speaking today, I'm going to give an invitation. And if you've never repented of sin and made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'm going to ask you to patiently listen and then pray with me at the end. And if you do that and you're watching this online or on some social media platform or on our podcast channel, please be sure to go to lostlamb.org, lostlamb.org, and click on I Just Got Saved and let us do our best in our ministry to help you begin your new walk with Christ. What does the Bible say about time? 
Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. The original build back bigger. Thank you for all those amens. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Pause right there. As Jesus tells this story, he is, in essence, giving us a quick peek into the nature of human desire. Because almost every functioning human being has a desire to survive. And not only to survive, but to thrive. And maybe a smaller handful desire to go beyond that and flourish. And it's not wrong to want to get ahead. It's not wrong to want to have things in this life that make our life more comfortable and more enjoyable. Sadly, many who have taught and preached out of this text have misused the text in pointing a finger of materialism and gaining stuff. But that is not at all what Jesus is saying. I don't know about you. I thank God for the shoes on my feet. I thank God for the clothes on my back. I thank God for the faithfulness of which He has put food on my table. I thank God for a roof over my head. I thank God for heat when it's cold. I didn't come from a family of wealth. And everything I have has come through the gracious hand of my Heavenly Father. And my God is not broke and my God is not cheap. And my God was not fashioned out of the Great Depression. My God is a big God. And He said, I do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you're able to ask or to think. The problem is never about stuff. The problem is always about attitude. And the reason we know that Jesus is not preaching against materialism here is because as we read on, listen carefully. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Those of you that are here in the United States of America know the answer to that is the IRS. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And that's why it's so important when you read and study and interpret the Bible, not just to read a text, pull the text out of context and create your own personal narratives and doctrines. Be careful of all of those you listen to 
who read one text out of the Bible and then give you 40 minutes of their personal commentary, or worse yet, those who don't even open a Bible or mention a Bible or back what they say with the Scripture. Call me old-fashioned, but I'm one of those preachers that starts in the Bible, stays in the Bible, and finishes in the Bible because God's Bible, God's Word, is always anointed. My commentary may or may not be. But when we read the entirety of the story, that's how we're able to get the biblical truths out of it. Because the Bible said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, and there's where a lot of the tirades against stuff and prosperity and blessing and those that attack such things, they don't continue to read. Because it goes on to say, but not have a rich relationship with God. So let me give it to you in a way that you can even explain to your children and your grandchildren. God is not against earthly wealth. God is against those who only focus on the wealth of the temporary life, but have not made a single deposit into their eternal life. And there are a lot of people who have earthly wealth, but on judgment day, they're going to be bankrupt by eternal standards. And my encouragement to you today is that I pray you are blessed. I believe Christians should be blessed. It's impossible to live by the covenant of God and not move forward all the days of your life. God is a God of growth. God is a God of abundance. His very first command to humanity was be fruitful and multiply. I pray the blessing of being fruitful and multiplying all the days of your life be upon you and your family. If you believe it and receive it, give Jesus a mighty hand of praise. Hallelujah. The problem is never with money. The problem is in the management of money and the attitude of fiscal responsibility. So I want to encourage you today. Be blessed all the days of your life. Thank God for everything He's done for you. Always remember that He didn't bless you to store it up and to eat, drink, and be merry only but to remember that we have a responsibility to the Great Commission and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful this year Lost Lamb has given more money away than we've ever given away to other ministries outside our own. My last financial report, 23% of everything Lost Lamb took in this year was sown into other missional ministries that are producing the gospel of Jesus Christ with results. And I don't say that to boast on myself. I say that to let you know that I practice what I preach. Because God can never anoint words out of the mouth of a preacher who does not practice what he preaches. I don't know about you, I like an accurate clock. I like timely people. Intelligent people respect other people's time. People who waste time will never prosper because time management is indeed a part of the covenant of integrity in walking in the faithfulness of God. Can I hear an amen? 
I actually have a clock in my office, in my personal office, at the corporate ministry office, that is connected to what is called the atomic clock. And for those of you that do not know that, the world's most accurate clock in all of the world is at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Colorado. And that atomic clock measures vibrations of a single atom of mercury. And the scientists that were involved in the creation of the atomic clock documented that in a billion years, with a B, in a billion years, the atomic clock will not even lose a single second of time. You know, most of us live our lives without thought, not only of eternity, we don't even give thought to our lives here on this earth. So let me illustrate it in a way that might hit home a little closer. The average lifespan in the United States of America, and of course this number is fluid, things change from time to time and have in recent months, but the average lifespan in this country is about 75 years of age, which is about the highest of all nations worldwide. The world average is less than 65 years. There are a handful of countries that the lifespan is under 45 years of age. But you live in a blessed country where the average lifespan is about 75 years. So let me break that down for you in a way that may cause you to think a little more seriously today. If you're 20 years old, you have 660 months left. If you're 30 years old, you have 540 months left. If you're 40 years old, you have 420 months left. If you're 50 years old, you're down to 300 months. If you're 60 years old, you're down to 180 months. If you're 70 years old, you've got 60 months. If you're 80 years old or older, I'll move very quickly to my invitation. <laughs> this year on the mission field, I was at a place when I gave the invitation. That night, two people in their 90s gave their hearts to Christ. I had met them before the service. I was introduced to them. One was 96, the other was 94. And I told them, I said, I'm so glad you're here tonight. And because of your age, I'm going to preach much shorter and get to the invitation much quicker and you be ready to come. I'm happy to tell you that both of them that night for the very first time gave their hearts to Jesus Christ and since then, one of them has been buried and now is in eternity with the Lord Jesus. I had the privilege at a restaurant that week. A woman came up to me and recognized me. Her dad was with her, 96 years old, didn't know Christ, and asked me if I'd sit at the table and talk with her dad. Before that conversation was over, I led that man to Jesus Christ. If you make it into your 90s, you are a rare breed of people. Let me break it down for you in another way. If you're taking notes, and many of our students that follow us in social media enjoy the academic aspect of learning the scripture, I don't know about you, I love the Bible more now than ever before. And my desire, a pastor said, I mentioned to Victory that you're a good speaker. And I said, Hitler was a good speaker. 
He said, no, he said, more than that. And he named a few in history that were good speakers. Well, we've all heard good speakers. I make no claim of being a good speaker. I am not the best preacher you will ever hear by far. I'm not the best singer you will ever hear by far. And by the way, for sake of time, I'm not singing this morning. However, pray for me. I fly out in a few days to Nashville to record our brand new project. And uh, if you want information on that, you can find it online. If you're taking notes, number one, I want to talk to you about the race of time. Because these are things about time that every wise believer, even a child, should be taught. Number one, you need to understand the race of time. Because the Bible tells us that our lifespan is like a vapor. In the Gospel of James chapter 4 and verse 13, it said, Look here, you people who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you will be boasting about your own plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. The Bible teaches us about the race of time, that it goes by so very quickly. I can't believe that I'm in my 60s. I told pastor as we were driving this morning here to the church, I feel as good now as I felt when I was 30 years old. But I can't believe how quickly time has gone by. When people introduce me and say, this man's been in ministry for over four decades, that still does not settle peacefully in my ears. It doesn't seem possible. It seems like months ago that Judy and I launched out into missions and evangelism and ministry. But life is a race, and it goes by so very quickly. I remember as a child hearing adults say, you know, the older you get, the faster time flies by. And I remember thinking as a child, that's not true. There's 24 hours in a day, and it goes by second by second, whether you're nine years old, or 90 years old, that's not true. But at this age of life, I now understand exactly what the adults were saying. Because I can't even believe this year is almost done. It just seems like weeks ago I was signing documents with 2021 and now we're about to fold it into the history books should Jesus tarry. Pastor gave me a very intellectual perspective of time. He told me on the way to church, time is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it unfolds. <laughs> Let that bless your heart. Straight from the original Greek. Let me break your lifetime down for you into smaller bite-sized pieces. The average American will spend six months of their life sitting at stoplights. Eight months of their life opening emails. One year of your life looking for misplaced objects. Some of you two and three. 
two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Four years doing housework. Five years waiting in lines. Six years of your life eating. Twenty-five years of your life sleeping. And when you put all of those numbers together, and you, I mean, I didn't even include time for driving or going to work and back from work and other elements of time, television watching, email watching. I just saw recently the average American spends 74% of every waking hour with a digital device in front of their face. That hit me like a ton of bricks. 74% of every waking hour with a digital device in front of their face because of my constant traveling. I was in an airport recently and the child was still in diapers but had been given a digital device and still in diapers was intently focused eyeball to eyeball with that digital device. Now not all digital devices are used for evil alone. There are many productive things that can be done. I work with one. I have in the device that's on this sacred desk, I have a library of over 23,000 volumes in that digital device that helps me to study and to learn and to research. I can access libraries of the world through a digital device. And so I'm not condemning all modern technology. I'm just trying to help you understand how quickly segments of our time go by without any thought of eternity. Because if we never died, time would not seem so precious. This morning I was up early at about 5.30 a.m. And uh, I got a little bit of milk from the refrigerator. And knowing what I was going to preach on today, that expiration date jumped out at me. And I thought as I was pouring the milk, how convenient it would be if when we were born, we all had an expiration date tattooed somewhere that we and only we could see so that we knew exactly when we were checking out. But you see, not only is time a race, for others it's a short race. For others it's a long race. Earlier in my ministry, every city that I used to go to when newspapers were of more value than they are in this modern time, I always bought the local paper. And I always studied it when I was there for a week of meetings so that I could have some local stories that I could weave into my preaching that week. I also, not because of being a negative person, but I always made myself read the obituary not out of morbidity, but because it was a reminder to me that they not only have old people in the obituaries, sometimes there were children or even infants. I buried my first grandson. He barely made it 48 hours. One of the most difficult funerals I've ever preached in my life was to bury my first grandson. But I can tell you that as I was standing there at that gravesite on that difficult day, it was a reminder to me of the seriousness of managing time 
here on this earth. And if there ever were a time in church history that God's children needed to understand the value of time and the fleeting of time and the quickness of time and to use it for the glory of God and to use it for the great commission and to use it to reach unreached people. Your life was not born again by the blood of Jesus and redeemed by the Savior's own life and blood so that you could get up every morning, go to work, come home, eat supper, repeat, repeat, repeat. Your life as a believer is more important than your job, more important than your career, more important than how you provide faithfully your family. You as a believer need to use time for eternal purposes as well. Number two, I want to talk to you about the responsibility of time. Number one, the race of time. Life is but a vapor. Number two, the responsibility of time. And no one taught us better by example than God's own son while he was here on earth, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John's gospel in the 17th chapter in the 4th verse, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. Analyze that verse. I brought glory to you, speaking to his father, here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. In that one sentence recorded from the mouth of Jesus, it is apparent and obvious that Jesus lived his life in a disciplined manner and managed his time wisely. He said to his father, I did everything while I was on this earth that you asked me to do. None of us will be able to say that in eternity's morning. None of us focus our prayer life probably enough to even know exactly you enough this morning to remind you that when Jesus saved you, you not only were redeemed from the curse of sin, you were called with a holy calling. Not everyone is called into full-time ministry, but every believer is called to connect with the Great Commission. Every believer is called to reach unreached people. Every believer is called to pray for your unsaved family, to pray for your unsaved children, to pray even for your enemies, and to remember that every human body contains an eternal soul. And in eternity's morning, that is really what will matter most. Jesus was able to say that he completed every task that God had purposed for his life. Perhaps you should make a note of that this morning and include it in your prayer life. Father, I ask you to give me the wisdom of Jesus to know what my appointed tasks are and to fulfill what you called me to do. Now listen carefully. If you're not careful, the world in which you live and some of the people that have influence in your inner circle will keep your hands tied to tasks that God never appointed you to work on. Because if the devil cannot destroy you, he will be content to distract you. Tweet the baloney out of that. 
If the devil can't destroy you, he will be content to distract you. Many ministries have failed, not because of gross sin, but because somebody put their hands on a plow, they were never called to work. Do you know how many times I've been offered opportunities in my 43 years of ministry that were good opportunities, but they were not God opportunities? Do you know how many times I've been asked to pastor a church? One church that I'll not mention was the largest church in the nation. They offered me a million dollar signing bonus. They offered me four times the salary my own board of trustees pays me. They offered me a quarter of a million dollars to help buy a home and said if I'd stay 10 years, there was another bonus that I'll not even mention. I mentioned it to my wife. She said, you pray, I'll pack. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. Lord, I apologize for that. I ask you to forgive me. I can say with clean hands and a pure heart, there was not one temptation at all. Because I remembered that unique prayer moment at the age of 17 in a prayer room not far from where I stand today on 846 Broadway in East Providence, Rhode Island. And I gave them thanks and let them know that it was an incredibly gracious offer. And only a fool would turn it down. But I said, that's the kind of fool I am. I know what God called me to do. If the devil can't destroy you, he'll be content to distract you. You must analyze those brief words of Jesus with a sincere and eternal heart. Lord, help me this day to recognize the tasks that you have called me to and to know the difference between good ideas and God ideas. For Lot and his family to move to the plains that were well watered everywhere and overlook Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a great idea for his business. Sadly, it was a cursed idea for his family. And Lot made decisions based on cattle when he should have been making decisions based on kids. And every wise believer must remember that when you turn from sin and turn to Christ, you laid all of your aspirations, not just your sin, you laid all your aspirations on that altar and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And to fulfill the purposes of the Lord is the responsibility of time. The Bible said in Proverbs 27 and 1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. The psalmist said in the 90th Psalm in the 12th verse, Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. Paul said in Ephesians and the 5th chapter and the 15th through 17th verses, Be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise, 
make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. The responsibility of time is that believers must live every day with a humility that says all of my aspirations. I laid them at the cross just like I laid my sin. And my life belongs to you. Spend my life as you see fit. Spend my life as you see fit. As chairman of the board of North Point Bible College, one of the things that I pray about on a regular basis and grieves my heart, where are the young people that are going to give their lives to ministry? Where are the young people who will say, I'll go where you want me to go? I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. The world around them, even in the Christian world, is saying, don't go into ministry. That's no lifestyle. You'll never get ahead. You'll never make any money. You'll never have this. You'll never have that. Where in the Bible did it say that? The Bible tells me that my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Signing up for the ministry is not a death penalty. It is life abundant. And the covenant of God is still true even to those who serve Him in life and in liberty. Does America have any more young people that will kneel at an altar and say, I'll go where you want me to go. My life is yours. Spend me as you see fit. I dare every person within the sound of my voice by the words of Jesus and by prayer and surrender to say, spend my life as you see fit. Spend my life as you see fit. Lastly, I close with this. I want to talk to you about the risk of time. I've talked to you, number one, about the race of time. I've talked to you, number two, about the responsibility of time. I want to conclude by focusing upon the risk of time. The risk being, in simplicity, all time is uncertain. You have no promise of your next breath. We never know how much time God has given to us here on this earth. The Bible said in the book of Romans in the 14th chapter, verses 10 through 12, remember each of us will stand personally before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. Can I remind you today from the sacred desk, each of us from this preacher on down through the line and all who are watching on social media, one day we will all stand before God at a day of judgment and we will give an account for our time. The Bible said even every 
idle word. We will give an account for. You'll give an account for your integrity. You'll give an account for what you did with what God placed in your hands. You'll give an account not only for time, but for talent. You'll give an account for how your life was spent. Was it spent like the man who said, my only objective is build bigger and eat, drink, and be merry or was my life handed over to the God who gave me breath and said spend my life as you see fit let me help you with something your greatest joy in life is not in your plans but in God's plans your greatest fulfillment in life is not in doing what you want to do it's in doing what God wants you to do. Because God doesn't call you to things that you despise all the days of your life. Even though some of those tasks may be difficult. Even though some of those assignments may require personal sacrifice. Down deep in your heart there will be a personal joy and satisfaction. You're talking to a man who's been on a dog sled in the Arctic Circle 50 some below zero where any exposed skin would be frostbitten in a matter of seconds but not one bit of pain or resentment was in my heart I remember thinking what an incredible privilege I prayed for years help me reach unreached people send me where other people won't go and now God has answered my prayer and now God is giving me the opportunity there is joy in doing what God has called you to do I was in a village, I was told before going to that village in the Arctic Circle. No one had been there to preach in 104 years. Which meant there was not one living soul in the village who had ever even heard the name of Jesus. This was back before internet had made its way into some of those remote regions. I remember asking the young people and the teenagers and the kids and the people in the village, have you ever heard the name Jesus? Not one person said yes. I asked the question, do you know what the Bible is? Not one person responded yes. I recently had a man from the Middle East who found our YouTube channel and began to watch by his own written testimony, prayed the sinner's prayer, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, but in that email that I read personally, he said, What is the Bible? And he spelled it B-I-B-A-L. Sir, may I ask, what is a Bible? You keep talking about a Bible. What is a Bible? We are living in a day and an age in which the media and technology has had many advancements and had many opportunities afforded to people in many different types of work and wisdom. There are still people in the world who have never heard of the name of Jesus. They don't know what a Bible is. They don't know what the gospel is all about. And as believers understanding this incredible part of time, we must always communicate the gospel in ways that even children can understand. The power of the gospel is not 
in exegeting the original Greek and baffling people with all of our scholarly wisdom. My hero in the faith, Billy Graham, that great evangelist who went home to be with the Lord not long ago, said something and I wrote it down and never forgot it. He said, if you take the gospel and you make it profound, the results will be simple. But if you'll take the gospel and make it simple, the results will be profound. A time will soon come when every child of God will stand before the throne and give an account with what did we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me conclude by making the gospel incredibly simple. You know, one of the things, having viral videos and thousands upon thousands of questions and comments that come in almost on a daily basis has done for me in a new education. It's given me a better insight as to what non-believers and unreached people are really asking. Because we've all heard wonderful sermons that answered questions that no one was asking. But in evangelism, my number one job is to build a bridge to my audience and not a wall. And one of the ways that I build that bridge is I try to read those comments as many as I can. And the questions are so basic and so simple that it's caused me as an evangelist even though I thought that my entire ministry, I was doing my best to make the gospel clear and simple. It has been a time of self-examination for me this year. To realize, and I'm not talking about dumbing the gospel down. I'm talking about making it clear. Explaining it well. You never hear me preach and say, well... I'm not going to go over the story of knowing the ark because you've all heard it a hundred times. No, they have not. I always preach, even as I'm doing this morning, as if someone were hearing the Bible for the very first time. And when you communicate the gospel, do the same. Do the same. The most common question that comes in are questions like, how can I make peace with God? How can I know that I'm saved? Can you really know that your sins are forgiven? Do you really believe God will forgive my past and love me and forgive me? And constant questions about people that don't even know how to make peace with God or are even uncertain as to whether he loves them and will forgive them. So let me close, not only for those of you that are here, but for those that are watching online by making the gospel abundantly clear. Not far from here, at Harvard University, many years ago, Billy Graham had been asked to speak at a chapel service. And I understand that the majority of the student body turned out they were encouraged not from a biblical standpoint, but he was America's pastor. He was a historic, iconic figure. He was growing old. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 
And one of the largest crowds they'd ever had of students gathered to hear Billy Graham, who allowed time at the end for Q&A. The first young man that walked to the microphone asked this question. Dr. Graham, tell me how I can know God and tell me in plain, simple language that I can understand. I remember hearing that question on the news. It was actually playing on the radio. They were talking about him being at Harvard, and they, they actually played that segment on the radio many years ago. And I pulled off the closest exit, and got out paper, and wrote it down. And I thought, that's the calling of an evangelist. Tell me how I can know God, and tell me in plain, simple language that I can understand. If the Lord will help me, I close by telling you that very thing. Number one, God is holy. And he's unchanging. Has not changed. God is all. He's as holy today as he always has been. He said in the Bible, I am the Lord thy God and I change not. Number two, we're unholy. We by nature are sinful and selfish. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans in the fourth chapter, wherefore by the sin of one man, speaking of Adam, sin was passed down throughout the entirety of the human race like a computer program installed at the factory. We were all born with the ability and the propensity to sin and to be selfish. One of the easiest ways I could illustrate that would be to take you all to the nursery on a field trip. Take a brand new toy, open the door in the nursery, throw it into the middle of the floor, and listen to all of the kids go, Mine! We get a little older and we're a little more reformed, but many of you are still screaming down inside, Mine. God is calling you to be saved and calling you to live holy and calling you to make peace with God, but like a little baby, you're still screaming about life, mine. God is holy. We by nature are unholy, therefore we are separated from God. That's why we don't have right relationship with God in that state because the holiness of God cannot compromise the fellowship with the sinfulness of men. But that's why he gave his only son, Jesus. Most memorized verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word perish from the original Greek means face judgment for unrepented sin. One old southern preacher said, When Jesus died on the cross, it was as if when they nailed one hand to the cross, he took the hand of the Father. And when they nailed the other hand to the cross, he took the hand of every sinner and became the bridge between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men. That's why the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved.
The only way you can make peace with God is you must come through the cross. You must come through Christ. Jesus himself said in John's gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. The good news is there's no sin in your life. There's no transgression in your past greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible still says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you stand with me this morning and give the Lord a mighty hand of praise? Thank you, Jesus. I never preach without giving people an opportunity to pray with me and to secure that commitment. Can I ask you a very straightforward question? Do you have a clear, distinct memory of a time in your life when you've gotten down on bended knees in the presence of a holy God and repented of your sin and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? If you didn't hear anything I said all morning, please don't miss this. And there are young people within the sound of my voice. And by the way, you're never too young and you're never too old to make peace with God. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was six years old. My father and mother were pastoring a church in Mount Morris, Pennsylvania, which was a little country town and still is in southwest Pennsylvania. They had an evangelist in by the name of L.K. Dodge back in that era all famous ministries went by initials. L.K. Dodge, C.M. Ward, A.A. Allen, R.W. Schambach. I'm just Tiff. But I remember L.K. Dodge, he's been with the Lord for decades, asking if you had a clear memory of a time in your life when you personally and publicly had made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. I don't remember what he preached. I just remember at the age of six, going forward and getting down on my knees as the preacher's kid, who oftentimes need the Lord more than other members, and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. People say, what kind of commitment can a six-year-old kid make? I made one that's lasted my entire life. There never was a time of backsliding, and I'm not saying I was perfect. I surely wasn't. But there never was a time of running away from God. There never was a time of searching for something better. He put a satisfaction in my heart at the age of six that has grown with every passing year that left no desire for anything that I have seen in this world. How about you? Do you have a clear, distinct memory of a time in your life when you've gotten down on bended knees in the presence of a holy God and repented of your sin and personally and publicly made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? People always ask me, what must I do to know that I'm right with God? What, what do I need to do? Tell me three things. Number one, you have to recognize your sin. You have to recognize it. 
Most people don't have a problem with that. Many people, it's just the opposite. They so recognize their sin and their failures that they think God could never love them. But you see, that's a key ingredient of being saved. Number one, you must recognize you're a sinner and separated from God. Number two, you must repent of your sin. Now, repent's a word we don't use much in the 21st century. But it's a biblical word that Jesus, in the English translation in Luke 13, where he said, unless you repent, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It means you're headed in the wrong direction, but turn around. By coming to this altar and praying with me in just a moment, you're making a U-turn. By coming at this altar, whether you kneel or stand, and pray with me, in the eyes of God, you're saying, God, by personal and public decision. Today I want to have peace with God. I'm willing to repent of sin. Number three, you have to receive Jesus Christ. You have to recognize your sin. You have to repent of it by faith. And by faith you have to receive Jesus Christ. Not just believe He existed. Not just believe he was a prophet or a teacher. Not just believe he was a world revolutionary. But believe he was the only begotten son of God. Believe that when he died on a cross, it was for me and for you. For sinners. Believe that he died. He was buried. He rose again over 400 times in the Bible. We were promised he'll return again. Believe that he loves you. Believe that He'll take you just the way you are. And believe that by His grace, He still forgives and forgets. And all who call upon His name shall be saved. Let me make this invitation even clearer. If you've never made your own personal and public commitment to Christ, many of you that will come and pray with me right now before pastor dismisses, it may be the very first time in your life you've ever done that. Hear me, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. If I go to an Italian restaurant for lunch, it will not make me Italian. If I go to a Chinese restaurant, it will not make me Chinese. If I go to Taco Bell, it does not make me Latino. And going to church does not make you a Christian. There's a world of difference between hanging around the cross and getting on it. And many of you have hung around the cross with your religiosity. But you have never gotten on the cross and said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Others of you may feel the Holy Spirit calling you to make a recommitment. And I'm not here to beat you up or to judge you. I love you. But I'm just going to flat out tell, of you, tell you, some of you are going to church, but you're still living in sin. You're not living in victory over sin. Sin is living in victory over you. You can't live with someone outside of the sacred bounds of marriage and call yourself a Christian. The Bible said you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven practicing sexual sin. And that's all sexual sin. And in this day and age in which it's become common and convenient to move in and try out the goods before you make a purchase, let this old-fashioned preacher tell you you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven that way. And sir, if you love her, man up and put a ring on her finger and do it right. 
Some of you are not living in victory over sin. Sin's living in victory over you. And I love you enough to say you need to come back home. Hosea said in the 14th chapter in the 4th verse, I'll love you freely and I'll heal your backsliding. God will heal it, but you've got to recognize it and repent of it. So whether you're coming for the first time or God's been calling you back to a life of holiness and you need to make a recommitment, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a song of invitation in just a moment. As they do, I want you to come and meet me at this altar. If you can kneel, you can kneel. But if you can't kneel, you can stand. One of my dear friends that I just texted hours ago, partner with this ministry, just had a knee operation. It'll be months before he'll be able to kneel. If you're elderly and you can't kneel and it's difficult to stand, they'll give you a front seat to sit in. But by coming forward this morning and praying with me, you're telling God from the sincerity of your heart, I want to be a real Christian. I want to repent of sin. I want to be ready to meet the Lord. And today, I'm going to make my commitment personally and publicly. Why personally and publicly? Everybody Jesus called, He called personally. And everybody Jesus called, He called publicly. When Jesus died for my sins and your sins, He died personally. And he died publicly. And when he returns, he'll return personally and publicly. As Billy Graham used to say, there's something about doing it publicly that seals it and makes it sure. I'm going to kneel right here and pray that God will give you the courage and the faith and the humility to do what you ought to do. Christian, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're a believer, I want you during this invitation to be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if there's somebody with you or somebody you've invited or someone that's new to the church, you're not sure if they've ever made their own commitment. You as a believer, will you turn to them and say, I'll walk with you. Not forcibly, but gently by the Holy Spirit. Just turn to them and say, I'll walk with you. Maybe a wife to a husband or a husband to a wife. Maybe a parent to a child or a friend to a friend. And we're going to pray today. As God is speaking, you come and then we'll pray.